Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals, and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Hey guys, it's Albert. I'm excited for you to jump in with me this week. Not only do we have a special guest, as we always do, to discuss a very relevant topic in the NFL, we're also bringing in a guest for the takeaways. So we got your takeaways, we got your guests, we got your mailbag. Let's go. All right, welcome back into the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer. We are in this sort of this this period of nothingness in the NFL. Uh, there are there's nobody on the field. There's no draft. That's over. There's no free agency for the most part. Most of that's over. And so now we've got a bunch of NFL coaches and a bunch of NFL players uh, conducting meetings, just like the one I'm conducting right now, uh, over Zoom. And they'll be doing that for the next six or seven weeks. And we'll see where things go from there. Obviously, a lot of uncertainty in our country in general, uncertainty about when the NFL season is going to be held and all of that. And so... I wanted to kind of mix things up and we're going to have a lot of the staples that we have that we've had forever here. We're going to answer your questions in the mailbag. We got a great guest coming up, but I I thought, you know, because there's a little less news, maybe we could spice up the takeaways a little bit. And I came up with the idea, bring my buddy, Andy Gresham. Gresh could come in and hello, Andy. How are you? Hi, Bert. How are you? Bring in the room and 
say dumb things. This will be great. <laughs> I'm doing. I, look, so the idea here is to bring a different voice in, and we're gonna just kind of go back and forth on certain topics. We'll see how this works. Uh, we didn't really have a whole lot of lead time here, Gresh. So we're gonna just have to rely on good old chemistry and know-how and all of that. And so the idea, the idea here is going to be. We want to be because we are in that sort of period of nothingness right now in the NFL. We want to give you something to follow. We want to tell you what you should be paying attention to over the next couple months. And because there isn't going to be a whole lot of news going on in the NFL over the next couple of months, you want something that you can kind of pay attention to, some storylines that, that that are worth your time. And so we're going to try to, to give you that right here. So instead of the five takeaways, what we're going to do, Gresh and I going back and forth, we're each going to give you five things that we'll be paying attention to that we think are worth paying attention to um, that we're looking forward to seeing the conclusion of over the next couple of months leading into training camp. We're going to bounce back and forth. I'll do one. Gresh does one. We'll do five each. So the idea of the five takeaways is still here. We're each going to do five. Gresh, you got the rules, right? Yeah, man. I think I'm following along. Let's roll. Okay. So my number one thing to pay attention to um, over the next two months, and it's I, I think Gresh, I think it might be one of the most interesting storylines of the entire offseason, the fate of Cam Newton. I am so interested to see what happens here. I, you know, it's weird that he's not on a team based on the fact that he's still only 30 years old. He won an MVP less than five years ago, uh, played in the Super Bowl less than five years ago. So, you know, and, and even, even if you want to go back a year or two, was seemed to be firmly entrenched as a franchise quarterback in Carolina. So, this fall from grace has happened fast. It's obviously to some degree injury related, the right shoulder issue, the left foot issue. You know, what's fascinating about this to me, Gresh is just sort of how this highlights how the NFL almost looks at the starting quarterback job and the backup quarterback job. Those are like two different job descriptions, right? And the starting quarterback, you just want the best player you can possibly get with the backup quarterback. A lot of times teams look for different things. And I think that's hurting cam right now is that like, you know, like I think like Jacksonville and New England, for example, right? Like they mm-hmm. want the backup quarterback to be a resource to the starter, right? Like and we've seen this in the past. Cam had that guy behind him and Derek Anderson for a lot of years in Carolina. And so, you know, I think, you know, you look at Car- you look at New England, you look at Jacksonville, those teams, they've got you know, Mike Glenn in one place, Brian Hoyer in the other place. It's can the guy be a resource to the starter? Maybe they don't necessarily want to bring in competition. It's still weird that Cam Newton is just sort of floating out there without a job. Yeah, and uh, I think it's – I don't know if Cam has the ability to sit in a room and look at a coach and be able to really truly convince him that he could be a good backup quarterback or that he would come in and compete in good faith for a starting job because – Cam thinks he's a starter in the NFL right now, and I don't think he's at the point in his life and in his career where he quite honestly wants to hear anything otherwise. And to the point that you were making in terms of, hey, man, it's just tough all the way around because he thinks he's a starter. There are no starting jobs open. Who would be the guy to be able to – who would be the coach that would try to sit Cam down and say – here's where I think you can help us, or here's maybe where we could bring you into the mix, but will you have the right attitude? I mean, look, if you're Baltimore, I mean, tell me he if his head is on right, 
Right. Tell me Cam Newton wouldn't be a good fit in Baltimore because everybody sits around and says, well, eventually starting quarterback there is going to get hurt. Who can play that similar style? It would be someone like Cam Newton. But, Bert, I'm with you. It's just, you know, it, it, it's he seems like he can only be a personality fit if he's a starter. And that might be unfair for us to say, but he's done nothing to make us think otherwise. It's it's weird too. Cause like, if you look at it, like you go all the way back in his history. I mean, this is like going back to like Blinn junior college. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at it. I think the last time he didn't go in somewhere and he was like indisputably like he, the last time he went in somewhere and like, he wasn't like indisputably the guy was probably when he was a teenager at the University of Florida as Tim Tebow's backup. Like I think that was the last time. So that would you're... that would make sense. And and I do think Cam gives off a sense about himself that I think is unsettling to some people that probably leads him to tell others, hey man, people really don't know me. I admit I'm one of those people from afar that when I see him pout after a Super Bowl, I don't expect him to be happy. But I also don't expect him to go out there and act petulant like a child after losing that game. There's a certain, I don't know, there's a way Cam Newton carries himself that makes me from afar just think, ah, let somebody else deal with that. So let me ask you this then. If you're Denver, Right, like so. Like, let's lay this out. They like Drew Locke. They've done a lot to try to help Drew Locke this off season. They went and got Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler in the draft. Um, oh, obviously, they've got a couple of nice young pieces on that offense already. Uh, you know, Dalton Reisner at guard. Uh, you know, they they've they they, they drafted Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton over the last couple of years. Philip Lindsay's in the backfield. If you're Denver, like. You want to like the see, and that that's where the issue comes up, right? Like, so you really like Drew Locke, and you want to give him a legitimate shot. If you're Vic Fangio, do you want the safety net there of having somebody like Cam Newton on the roster, or do you not? Do you, do you feel like that puts too much pressure on your starter? Like, where if one thing goes wrong, the locker room might be like, "Well, we got Cam Newton over here. Like, why aren't we just going to him?" Yeah, that's the other intangible part of it. You know, the whole tenor of three weeks in and you're 0-3 in Denver and people are screaming on Sports Talk Radio, how come Cam isn't in? And then you have an offensive coordinator in Pat Shermer where given the way he has normally run his offense, I don't think Cam Newton necessarily fits it per se. So would Shermer be able to adapt? Would the head coach be on board? Then what the hell happens if you catch fire and you win, you know, 9 of 11 and squeak into the playoffs with an expanded playoffs potentially coming this year? Then if you're John Elway, are you stuck needing to satisfy the fan base signing a 31, 32-year-old quarterback who you really, in the end, don't want to be your future? I think that's a part of this too, Bird, is that some organizations look at it and say, hey, man, I know I don't want that guy to be my future, so I'm not even going to bring him in in the first place. All right, Crash, what do you got? All right, for me, I am fascinated with the fact that Sean Payton early on in this whole COVID-19 said, get out, go. You have covered this league a long time. I've dealt with football coaches forever. There's one word they all love, control. They want control of everything, control of your time, where you're eating, when you're eating, all, I mean, if they can control it, football coaches, I do believe on the whole, want to be able to control it. And that includes the off season activities. And Sean Payton was like, get out, 
Go now. Go yeah. away. We're in a hot spot. We'll see you when training camp starts. That is, to me, a real chips in the center of the table kind of move because you're either going to have some dudes who are going to go, oh, it's July. I better start working out and getting ready. And, you know, are they building team accountability? How are they handling each other? And, yeah, it's professional football, but let's be real. If yeah. you give these guys a little bit of rope, they'll come pretty close to hanging themselves. And, yes, I'm sure there's communication going on, but the Saints, to me, Bert, have the ability to get a jump on building who they're going to become as a football team because of this decision that Peyton made but not only needed to make. I, you know what? I think it's like sort of a, an example of Sean reading the room. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just think like he's got a really good sense for that team. That's a veteran team now. It's a very talented roster. You've got a lot of accomplished guys there, right? Like, so if you go down the roster, look at it. You got obviously Breeze at quarterback, right? You've got Alvin Kamara at running back. You've got guys like Teron Armstead. And Andres Pete and Ryan Ramchick on the offensive line. You've got Mike Thomas at receiver, right? Maybe the best receiver in the league. On the defensive line, you've got Cam Jordan, right? And at the linebacker level, you've got Demario Davis. In the secondary, you've got Malcolm Jenkins and Marshawn Lattimore. Like, like I look at that and I'm like, there are some pros in that group. You know what I mean? Like, you look at the and it's just like. I, I like. I almost feel like it's, it could be a message from Sean to his team. I don't need to hold your hand. You guys are mm -hmm. adults. All I'm asking is that you show up ready to go. Like, and I'm going to trust you. And I hope you appreciate me having that trust. You guys take care of your business. We'll meet when we need to meet. And when you show up here in July, be ready to roll. And like, I just wonder if like that, I don't know. I mean, like there are certain teams that need their hand held and I don't know if the saints are one of those teams. And maybe this is an example of Sean reading the room. To me, this is the type of move that could lead a team to a Super Bowl because they're all going to be managing each other on the accountability level. And if all of those players, you name guys at each level of the defense on different parts of the offense. And we know Drew Brees has run, you know, unorganized right. workouts, whatever you want to call it, where he's been leading that group. If that goes on through that whole 53-man roster and those guys are holding each other accountable now, even though they're away from each other, those are the types of bonds that I think can jumpstart you as a football team and make you really start to believe that you can do things in a different way because we're all being asked to do things in a different way now. And NFL players are going to be no different, and it's going to disrupt their normal week. They are going to have to adapt, but if the Saints are already a step ahead of that and they got people holding each other accountable, which means eventually they'll help bring people along who may not be getting it, it could pay big dividends in that team for that team down the road. Okay, my second thing, and – I'll tell you what, like one of the things that stuck, stuck out to me about the schedule, Gresh, when it came out, I think we all, and we're going to get to Brady in a minute. I know that's one of your topics. I, you know, to me, like, like the, the fact that the Bucks have them, that they maxed out on primetime games didn't surprise me. Cause that, like, I remember like when I was a kid, how interesting it was when Montana became a chief, you know, everybody wants to see the, the, the superstar player in the new uniform. It did surprise me a little bit to see the Patriots max out on primetime games. And it does tell me that the NFL believes that 
this is going to be a very real thing. Like people are going to want to see what Belichick looks like without Brady. And people are going to want to see what Josh McDaniel's offense looks like without Brady. People are going to want to see what the, the construct of the team looks without Brady in it. And I know a lot of people have brought up 08 and a lot of people have brought up 16, but to me, this is like almost a different deal than that too, because in 16, you had a very veteran team, right? That defense was really good. Um, you had guys like Gronkowski and Edelman on the offense. And the, the, the 0-8 team, of course, was coming off the undefeated year. And that was a very veteran team. Whoever was going to be this quarterback was going to be throwing to Randy Moss and Wes Welker in their primes. This is different. So I like th- this is one thing I'm, I'm really, really interested to see, like how the Patriots use the next two months and sort of what they look like when you get to the start of training camp. Because if there was ever a year where Belichick may have actually needed the offseason, needed the spring, this probably would have been it. I completely agree with you, and that's where they're going to need some leadership on the offensive line to step up. And you look at a guy like David Andrews, who's back at center, that's a huge security blanket for whomever is under center, and that would include Brian Hoyer as well to know that mentally he's got someone in front of him who can handle what they need to handle because the quarterback might be trying to figure it out himself and the center then has to sort of take over and communicating with the uh, with the offensive line and to you know to the primetime end Bert the other part of it too is let's be real it's been 20 years of ratings it's going to really take a lot for people in New England to not be putting up massive numbers and big numbers whenever they play nationally. I think now in looking at the whole national fan base, we know you've had Pittsburgh, you have Dallas, you have the Raiders. The Patriots are now there in part because of Brady and Gronkowski. And maybe they end up you know, creating some short-term flame for Tampa Bay down there in terms of the popularity category. But yeah, I think, I, I think in a goofy NFL season that's going to be affected by COVID-19, both the Brady and the Belichick end of their story, it's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to compare and contrast along the way. Why shouldn't the networks capitalize? They'd be stupid not to. What do you think the what do you think the offense looks like? Oh, you mean the Patriots offense? Yeah. I think it's going to go, I think we're Remember in 01 when Brady took over and they threw more passes sideways than any team in NFL history? Yeah. It's not going to be like that. But I think they're going to go back to elements of it to where they are going to run the ball. They'll try to run it out of three wide receivers. They're going to have to take advantage of the running backs. And it's going to go back to simplifying that thing down. I would be really surprised if, you know, they just said, all right, we're going to run it the way we did with Brady and we're just going to trust this young quarterback to go out there and do what he needs to do. This is going to be, in my opinion, more of early Brady with Charlie Weiss adapted to the modern day personnel within the game and you know working those three wide receivers or having a flex tight end who can win a blocking matchup on the outside and last thing here golden opportunity for josh mcdaniels golden like, oh, to put his name he, back on the top of the list yeah like, like, like wunderkin he's no done question. it again no question yeah. all right your second your second thing number- to look for Bert, my number two is who signs jadavion Clowney. Clowney at some point has got to realize, okay, I'm not getting the stupid money I was asking for. We're in a whole new financial environment, you know, and who eventually he's, he's ultimately going to figure out that, okay, I'm going to have to take whatever, not whatever I can get league minimum, 
But there's only going to be a team that's going to be willing to pay him so much. It might be here's four or five million, and we'll, you can sing for your supper, and we'll give you another five million in bonuses or something like that. But who's the team that ultimately looks at him and says, okay, this could be a piece who could really help us? To me, he dumb dumb priced himself out of the market. That's a part of the reason why he doesn't have a job, that and the injury history. But when the number starts to come down for a number of reasons or a multitude of reasons, who's the team that says, okay, let me, let me throw a little stake at this guy and hang another one up behind the quarterback every week and hope he goes and grabs it. It's just look at the whole picture of it like with him, like where it's like you have – so there's the, the fact that he can't take a physical. That's hurt Cam for obvious reasons. It's hurt Clowney for obvious reasons too. He had the microfracture surgery early in his career. There's questions about the stability of his knee. So, like, that's obviously hurt him, and it's prevented him from, I think, getting close to what he wanted to get financially. The other part of this is that if you do sign something right now long-term, it's probably going to be a bad deal for you if you're clowny. Teams have filled their needs. Cap space is used up. So to think that you, you know, would want to sign a three- or four-year deal somewhere, forget about that. So I think it has to be a one-year deal, and I think it has to be with his eyes on 2021 when he'll be able to go into another team's facility, take a physical, do the free agent thing the conventional way. So like, if I'm him, I look at this and I say, I'd probably go back to Seattle because it's a place that um, it's a place that I think highlights a scheme that highlights his athleticism. It's a scheme that he's familiar with. So you either go back to Seattle or you go somewhere else where there's familiar elements. Tennessee would be one of those because Mike Vrabel was his position coach in Houston. And so I think his whole focus right now has to be going and finding a one-year deal somewhere, getting the most money I can for this year, right? No question. But also having your eye on where I need to be in 2021 and where I need to be in March of next, where I need to be in March of 2021 specifically. So... I can actually go get the big second contract that every player is looking for. Okay, your number three. Okay, so this is a question every year, but I think it's extra interesting this year, right? Um, And that is, how are the rookie quarterbacks going to be positioned going into late July? So we have the three guys, right, that went in the top six. We have... Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. We have Tua Tungavaloa in Miami, and we have Justin Herbert in L.A. We have Jordan Love in Green Bay, too. But, I mean, like, look, he's going to be redshirted, so take him out. Correct. Take him off the list. Now, I thought it was interesting to look back at the 2011 season, right, because that was the last time we were in a situation like this, and you had two teams that had rookies starting week one, and those were the Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton and the Cincinnati Bengals with Andy Dalton. The Vikings with Christian Ponder, the the Vikings with Christian Ponder, and the Jaguars with Blaine Gabbert both claimed they were going to redshirt their guys. They wound up playing them. Then you had two real redshirts, like Jake Locker in Tennessee and Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. Both those guys were actually redshirted. So you almost had like this even split where there were two week one starters Two guys who, you know, were supposed to be redshirted, but, you know, came off the bench in the middle of the year. And then two guys who were actually redshirted. And so I just think it's so, so interesting with these three guys with Burrow, Tua, 
and Herbert, like what's the best course of action? And we're going to talk about this with our with our guests coming up too. But I think like that that's such an interesting thing. It's like because if if you're going to get the guy ready to play, right? Like if you're a Cincinnati, like don't you have to make that decision pretty quickly? Gresh, right? Because you yeah. gotta get him ready to play a season. Like you don't have the spring to screw around with here. Like, and there's only 16 padded practices now. Wouldn't you think like if if you're the Dolphins and you want to play Tua, you're the Bengals, you want to play Burrow, you're the Chargers, you want to play Herbert. I would think you'd have to make that decision pretty quickly because you need because you only got so much time to get the guy ready. Totally agree with you. And I think in Miami there might be a little, you know, like to me in Cincinnati, there's no decision. Right. And Joe Burrow is your starting quarterback. Look, I don't think from I, day one. If I'm the Bengals, I don't even mess around. Like I, I name him the starter. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, absolutely. Like just, I mean, I, I mean, if you don't imagine, you know, people in Cincinnati are depressed enough as it is following that franchise. Imagine they take him the number one pick, and then it's like, yeah, we're gonna do what we did with Carson Palmer and sit him for kitten and play. No, you play the guy now. Right. You, you, I mean, look, if you stink, you stink. Let him go. Deal with it, or let him go. Uh, get beat up and learn you know in terms of herbert in in la it seems like there could at least be an open quarterback uh you know battle there because of tyrod taylor and in terms of miami i i I think it should be tua but i think it's the hole they're going to make him earn it but there's no question bird i would think that all three of these teams even if they don't hand the job to the guy that the thought is let's bring him into camp and hope to God he just plays well enough for us to be able to justify starting him, and then whatever happens, happens. But I think you bring up a great point. They're losing valuable time right now. Mental reps are good, but there's also being around the guys. The quarterback got everybody to listen to him first, and the only way you can do that is when you're in the communal setting to where you, you can understand why Joe Burrow is the guy that you see sitting on the bench with the cigar hanging out of his mouth after winning the national championship. To me, Joe Burrow's a guy you got to feel that to be around him to start to believe in him. Uh, whereas I don't know so much. I think with two, it's the whole hey, if this guy pieces it together, we've seen him play great football, and there'll be a bunch. You know, who knows what's going to happen in L.A. But I think you bring up a really good point. They're missing valuable time right now. But Joe Burrow's got to be the starting quarterback. If Cincinnati screws that up, then shame. Well, and I think like they they haven't even given themselves a, a safety net there. That's the thing is like right. they've got Ryan Finley, who's barely got more experience, more NFL experience than Joe Burrow does right now. <laughs> like yeah. barely more. He's got like four starts, and that was last year when he threw for less than fifty percent and got benched again. So, you know, like like the 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 Chargers. Have, have a legitimate safety net in, in Tyrod Taylor. The Dolphins have a legitimate safety net in Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Bengals don't have one. The Bengals have basically made the decision. Like, I think that, that decision is academic now. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Tua and with Herbert. What do you got? I, I know, but I know what's going to happen with Josh Rosen. He will be traded to the Bengals to be the backup for another young quarterback there. And we just – everybody can pass Josh Rosen around. Like when you get a young quarterback or you get a – you need one, just pass him around. Or, or he'll be traded. Everybody can – or be traded to New England and fulfill his potential. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, right? And he, right, Belichick would be the one that would intellectually stimulate him because he's a genius. This guy, good God Almighty. Yeah. My number three is much more of I'm, I've got a couple of sort of bigger NFL issue type stuff here, but 
What happens, Bert, if the stadiums in Los Angeles and Las Vegas are not ready to be played in when it comes time to play regular season games? Now, I know this is coronavirus-like, and some people might roll their eyes at this, but think about what could be the trickle-down effect, right? If this stadium in L.A. isn't ready to go, that's not one, but it's two teams who have to figure it out. And you then have a state in California – Whereas you and I sit here at this point, they're debating or, or there's a, there, there are reports out saying that they might do more of the stay-at-home order for three more months, yeah. which will push it into July. Gavin Newsom, the governor out there, has been pretty vocal about, hey, we're not going to have live sporting events or at least with fans in the stands for a while. So if you want to go rent the Rose Bowl or UCLA or something like that, you know, are, are, the, are some of these institutions going to run the risk well, of pissing off the politicos and it turns into a big mess? I think there could be a, a really interesting political trickle-down effect in each of these states for these teams if these stadiums aren't ready to go on. This time. is a weird one, too, because I I mean, like, look, like if they're – if so L.A. – I think L.A., they would be okay. Like I think LA, the teams can probably go back to their, I, like the Coliseum might be like because it's associated with SC, but I don't think the Coliseum is the Coliseum is not like SC's property, right? Isn't the Coliseum like? I don't think so. See, and the reason that I left it open is because I don't know the political landscape okay. there. Meaning, uh, would what, meaning would the governor of California? Yeah. Look at UCLA and be like, hey, listen, you're a state. Like, don't you dare rent to the NFL because right. their stuff ain't ready. Like, would there be heat there or would they just be like, hey, screw it. Yeah. The NFL's got a ton of money. We're going to take their check and let them come play. In I our think building. Vegas is a more interesting question. And part of it is like the L.A. stadium is like pretty close to completion. So I think they'll they'll, they'll probably make it. Vegas mm-hmm. is interesting to me because so. Like there's Sam. Like I remember doing some reporting on the. the, the this was a couple of years ago on um, on whether or not like the Raiders could play in Sam Boyd Stadium, which is the the UNLV stadium there, temporarily. Mm-hmm. And what someone told me was that that stadium is so dilapidated that it would take over a hundred million dollars. Like you'd need to invest over a hundred million dollars into that stadium to get it ready for an NFL broadcast. Think about that. Like and that money's just mm. gone because UNLV is not going to UNLV is not playing. UNLV is moving to the Raiders Stadium too, so that stadium's that's just right. like it, it would just be throwing money into a pit, and so that's why you're hearing about the Raiders if the Vegas Stadium wasn't ready potentially playing. I've heard San Diego, but if they if you if the if there's problems in I mean that's not <laughs> happening right. So San Diego would be a no, um, but I've heard Salt Lake City. I've heard San Antonio. I've heard potentially Arizona if like, and that's close and they could, and I I don't know how the schedules match up, but like, could they potentially play there? Um, So I know that the Raiders are the one team of the three that we're discussing here that they've actually actively like looked like, okay, like what would we have to do? Uh, And, and those are the types of things that we're all going to be reacting to in the month of July and August as we get pushed into sure. the beginning of the regular season, if that even ends and, up starting. And my fourth thing just jumps right into that. Like it's right there too. Like I don't think enough people are talking about how like training camp might be might be a problem. 
right? Like we might have an issue here. Yeah. I mean, training camp is like, like we're talking about the end of July and I actually got a hold of like the state of Washington, Seattle, like what it's, what it is in Seattle. And they're further along than we are here in Massachusetts than California is, than New Jersey is, than Maryland is, than Virginia is. And in Seattle, they're in phase one of reopening. And the way that sets up is it's going, they, they have to get to phase four until they can have gatherings over 50 people. Right. And mm-hmm. that is minimum eight weeks from now. So we're talking about middle of July in a state that's like ahead of a lot of other NFL states. And it's a coastal state, you know, so in the same sorts of situation and the same sort of situation that the teams in the Northeast and on the West coast are. And so like, are the Rams and chargers and Niners going to be allowed to have gatherings big enough to stage a training camp in July? I think this is a fair question. It takes about 150. If you Very strip fair. it way down, right, and it's just players, coaches, trainers, doctors, cafeteria staff, like my understanding, talking to some of these teams, like you really be stretching at 150 people maybe, like right? So are those sorts of gatherings going to be allowable? Yeah. Is that going to be allowable it, like in July? Well, I – yeah, and I know that you can talk about, well, we're going to have you know each position group and there's no more than maybe 10 or 12 in a position group and could you have it catered and everybody grab their box lunch or something. It's going to require some thought and ingenuity. There's no question. But to your point, absolutely. There is – I think for some teams, there's got to be some real doubt as to how training camp could end up working for them in terms of physically where are they going to be right. able to do it. I wonder if we may have in part a virtual training camp this year, meaning we extend it back for two more weeks and you're allowed meetings via Zoom and you can try to do some organized workouts or whatever. But I, I, I don't know. You. I, 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 I sense there's going to be I some think that's the point when we move it back, move the season back. Uh, that's when we move the season back to October 1st. All right. Well, all right. Let's yeah. go. Uh, my number, my number four, Bert, quickly will be, and it's what Major League Baseball is dealing with right now. Will quote unquote business be done between the owners and the players? Meaning, we know everyone is going to be rapidly processing information as to how things are going to have to work this year, and will enough groundwork be laid in advance so that everybody can make those decisions seamlessly? The players and the owners are made whole and we can get to watching some football or is this going to get ugly as it is in at least so I think one in other the sport. NFL, it'll be okay this year. I think the questions are going to be next year. If the revenue is down and the salary cap gets knocked down, what does that mean going forward? How is this going to affect the television deals? And if you it, like say like, so next year, like I've heard like, like if the salary cap, based on the percentages, goes down and say, let's just throw the number out there, 20 million next year. That's going to cause major problems, right? Major problems. So yep. if the like at that point, does the league go to the player and say, we want to flatten this out so teams don't have to start lopping players off, right? Well, now you're going to be borrowing from future years. So now it's, all right, well, we'll borrow some money from 2022, 2023. So now you're affecting players like two and three years down the line. And so I think that's a that's that's going to be a major storyline. The other thing, like with all of this uncertainty, your team's going to sign guys to long term deals. Like I think that's a fair question too. Like if you're the Chiefs, do you go in on Patrick Mahomes now, or do you wait to see what it looks like in a year? I mean, 
And when it comes to and when it comes to guaranteed money and having to put some of the money in escrow for these contracts, yeah. how much cash on hand will right. owners have? And I know we're getting into the weeds of some of the business here, but all that are going to be factors in signing players right. long term and being able to recruit right. free agents. And, and like, like, and that we're talking about like Mahomes. That's a player you're sure of, right? Like, what about the players you're like? Yeah. Like, that, like, that's a guy. Like, I brought up his name. That's a guy. Like, like you know. Whatever, like, here's your blank check, Mr. Mahomes, right? Like, what about the guys right. that, like, you're less sure of? Like, you're probably not going to move on guys like that. All right, my my fifth thing sort of relates to all of this, too. What does the rest of the sports world look like? We're going to start to get answers on that this weekend. The Bundesliga in Germany reopens. Um, I believe we're two weeks away, three weeks away from the Premier League in England. Uh, I think, you know, those leagues will give the NFL some idea because there's close contact, like, player to player in those leagues. I think baseball is going to be an important one for them because baseball is not restarting. Baseball is starting from zero the same way they're starting from zero. And so I think that's going to, I mean, I, like they won't admit that they're following anybody because this is who they are. But I think over the next couple of months, they have the luxury of getting to watch what baseball, what soccer, what basketball, what hockey, what all the other sports look like. Yeah, uh, UFC yeah. as well. I mean, and they already started and kind of got back into it. Believe it or not, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some intel. The way WWE is run and the fact that they have had their athletes doing their thing, I would like to think that everyone is sharing and sharing alike, even though I'm sure the WWE-NFL relationship is probably pretty good right now considering the XFL has now died. Bert, my number five and my last one is we know there's going to be a Tom Brady effect yeah. in Tampa, right? But will it be Michael Jordan-like, as we've seen in the last dance, where it's, hey, bleepers, I got six <laughs> of these. Do it my way. Or does Brady go in and say, I haven't had a guy to throw a go route to since Randy right. Moss. All right, Mike Evans, I don't care if you're not exactly at 12 and a half yards on your button hook in between the numbers and the hash every time because you can convert it and run a go route, and I'll be more than willing to sacrifice completion percentage to give you opportunities to make big plays. Basically, does Brady go in there and say, I have a formula, you follow me, or does Brady look at it and say, oh, my God, I haven't had talent like this let me adapt my skill set to where he brings the best out of all the other players by and this adapting is himself. like I think there's even another layer to that where you're talking about that and the, the mm -hmm. interaction the interaction with the coaches too like forever Brady like Brady sent a text to Bill O'Brien when 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 Josh went to to Denver in 09 O'Brien becomes the play caller and Brady sent a text to him and just said I want to be coached right and Josh has coached him O'Brien's coached him Charlie's coached him. Like all these guys have like sort of coached the guy hard. What happens when that institutional knowledge, that 20 years of institutional knowledge is gone? What happens when there's not the sort of like, I, th there's not the sort of continuity that he had in place. Like, is he going to get mm -hmm. to a point in September and October where maybe he's frustrated because he doesn't have some of the advantages that only that sort of time can give you like that sort of time on task now all that's gone. I'd argue that was a huge part. Like, and it's to Brady's credit, big part of like who he was. You know, is who he became. Is that is like that they were able to do it that way. So, um, it'll be interesting to see if there are points of frustration there. Gresh, 
you're the best. We'll, I, I love this format. We'll see if we can make it work again sometime soon. Yeah, I appreciate man. it. Yeah, I ain't going nowhere. And we're going to get to our special guest right after this. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected, or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my dance, <laughs> Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, well, we're going to bring in an old friend of mine, and a, uh, we haven't had him here on the podcast yet, but I'm excited to bring him in because I think he can really kind of give us a, a, the reality of what NFL coaches are facing right now. Um, and so we're going to welcome in Hugh Jackson, former Raiders coach, former Browns coach. Hugh, good to have you on. Hey, glad to be on. Glad to have an opportunity to talk to you. All right, so so let's start here. Um, you, you look at the what's what's facing NFL coaches right now, and you think back to your experience. And one of the reasons I wanted to have Hugh on is because in 2011 he was the head coach of the Raiders, the first time head coach. Um, you'd been the interim coach the year before, so you had a little bit of runway there. Um, but you you basically had the whole the whole off season taken away from you, and um, you know I just I I, I thought like what everybody was facing 11 is probably the most applicable thing that to, to what coaches are facing now. And so I guess I'd start here with you, Hugh is, um, you know, you brought in a new defensive coordinator that year and Chuck Bresnahan, you brought in a new offensive coordinator and Al Saunders. And obviously you'd had background with these guys, but the players hadn't. Um, and I, and I guess sort of, what do you remember about the beginning of that? And I'm sure, you know, your whole career, you've got a plan. This is what it's going to look like when I become a head coach and now all of a sudden, you know, everything's sort of flipped upside down and you have to adjust. No, you said it, Albert. I mean, it was difficult. Uh, you go from being the coordinator to becoming a head coach and then you hiring a new staff. But the, fun, the good part was the players knew me and knew exactly possibly what the practice schedule would look like. So there was some familiarity there that way. Um, but, you know, we had new coaches, a few new coaches on defense new players that you couldn't talk to, that you couldn't do anything with at the time. Uh, so that made it very difficult. The thing that's different about this situation than then is the players at least could work out. You know, right. they could work out and go do things and maybe get together and do things uh, with the anticipation that the CBA would be, uh, um, you know, agreed upon so that they can come in. This is an entirely different deal. I mean, you're talking about life and death you know, where players can't get together. Um, and so I see this situation as being totally difficult and extremely hard, and especially for first-year coaches. Okay, so for you, like if if I'm Joe Judge in New York or I'm Matt Rule in Carolina or I'm Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, whoever it is, one of the new guys, Mike McCarthy in, in, uh, would probably have a good idea because he went through it the same way you did when, you know, going into Dallas – um, but if one of the, 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 the new coaches picked up the phone and gave you a call and said, what's really important like right now, what do I need to kind of keep at the top of my list? What would you tell them? The first thing I would say safety, because you're going to have a group of players who will be excited about um, trying to get back. And then you're going to have a group of players that are not excited about getting back uh, because of the, their upbringing. So you're going to have to answer the safety question first and foremost. The second thing to be very important to me is how am I going to get the right information to my team during this particular time so that when we do get a chance to be back together, we can hit the ground running. Um, the next most important thing is how am I going to get my quarterback up to speed and make sure that he is, you know, getting better in what our offense is, uh, because that's going to be very, very important. And uh, what does that look like? So what is the virtual training of my team and of specific, real specific position groups? Uh, how does that look right now? That's going to be very, very important. 
Okay, so you like obviously went through like that off season, and, and maybe there was a little bit of uncertainty. You had Jason Campbell on the roster, right? And mm-hmm. so he'd been like he'd been entrenched, but like there's still some question of what the Raiders are going to do with the quarterback position. I know halfway through that year, you guys wind up trading for Carson Palmer. What was important with you and Jason that off season? Was there stuff that you maybe tried to do? ahead of time, like before the lockout to make sure that he had X, Y, or Z, or he had what he needed before any of that went down. Absolutely. The best we could. The thing that was different is remember you couldn't have any communication. Right. With so that was really different. I mean, that's what I'm saying. These situations are so they, they yeah. look the same, mm-hmm. but they are different, but I didn't get a chance. You couldn't talk to the player now, Jason. Even before was it like yeah. before the lockout? You couldn't. It, okay, no, so. before the no before the lockdown. No. So doubt. did you make an effort to try to get him some stuff before Perhaps. the lockout? Yeah, no doubt. You try to make sure that the playbook, whatever additions that you're adding to the playbook, you make sure that he has those. Whatever verbiage that you're changing, you try to make sure he has all of that. Um, those things and what the statistics were. You know, what does the data show us that we could do better? So he had all that information. So how does this sort of put it on the players too? Because I know I, I, the one thing I do remember about that offseason was that the a lot of players sort of took the bull by the horns and decided, mm-hmm. okay, like, and, and I, you know, you remember that the, they would go to, you know, whatever, a college or a high school and, and get a bunch of guys together and work together. Like how much of this is sort of, I guess, you know, it's funny. I talked to a couple of coaches about this. I talked to Sean McDermott about this over the weekend, and he said, like, you sort of have to trust in the sort of player that you're bringing into the building because it's going to be a real character check, you know, in a certain way. Like, who is who are the teams that are finding a way to, 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 to get through this and continue to improve? Like, how much of this do you think is sort of how teams come out of this ride is going to be dependent on, like, the sort of people that they have in their building? Absolutely, Albert. I, I think that's a very great point. Uh, but I would also go back to the point I made uh, a little bit earlier is that you're going to have a group of players that want to do that. And you're going to have a group of players that don't want to do that because mm-hmm. of fear. You know, and so until that safety question is dealt with, you know, is another player going to feel comfortable getting together as a group mm-hmm. and saying, let's work out together? You've heard certain guys have tried to do that. I, you know, we take it back to Dak, Dak Prescott and Ezekiel yeah. Elliott. They had a party, you know. Yeah. And it, for all we know, it could have been about football. But everybody got ridiculed about that, you know. So there's going to be some guys who are afraid uh, to put themselves out there that way. And the guys that do, they need to be safe because what if something happens? Mm-hmm. So you got to handle it the right way. I just think it's a catch-22 for everybody right now. But you said it best. Whoever handles this transition period till the team can get back is going to be the teams that hit the ground running. What do you remember about the first few days of training camp that year that maybe was different than anything you'd ever been a part of? And of course, of course, <laughs> know the new guys. Nobody right. would have gotten to know them in a, in a off-season program, mm-hmm. you know, and, and been around them quite a bit. Now, all of a sudden, you're trying to make sure you get to know these guys and get them acclimated to the rest of the team and the environment and the coaches and all those things. Sometimes that can be overwhelming, you know, uh, for a player, it can be overwhelming for a coach, but at the same time, it has to be done. Did you guys have to adjust a lot in camp early on? Like, like was there, cause again, nobody had been through that before at the time, like where your off season program's gone. Like, what do you remember about like the early 
maybe the first week or two of camp that was where, you know, outside of introducing yourself to all of these guys, like maybe you had to adjust a little bit on the fly as you sort of learned as you went. Albert, it was the most um, difficult uh, transition for me ever. And I say that for this reason, and Amy Trask knows this. I not only had to get the team together, but it was also getting the players who wasn't on a team on the team. So I had to mm-hmm. deal with contractual things. Yeah. So that took on a whole different environment for me because things were, you know, up against it. You know, here we are in training camp. We got 12 guys who are not here that should be here, but they couldn't negotiate their contracts and how that was going to all work. So I had to dive over into that and yeah. I had never done that. So that <laughs> was even more difficult, but it, it's hard because you're trying to, you got to adjust, as you just said a second ago, you might have to change your practice schedule. You might have to change your meeting schedule just to accommodate everybody and to make sure that everybody's understanding the routine that we're trying to get in to put ourselves in position to win football games. What did you notice that, like, because this will be applicable to this year, right? So these guys are going to lose all the on-field work. What did you notice that was behind? You know, like, like when you got to when you when you got there and like you know. Guys show some guys show up in better shape than others, all of that. But like when from a football standpoint, like did you notice certain things were behind where they normally would be, where you guys would have to play catch up? Absolutely, the execution. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, crisp execution that a coach looks for, offense, defense, and special teams was lacking, and so you have to find a way uh, to circumvent that to speed it up. You know, is that more meeting time? Is that a little bit more practice time? Whatever that is, you, you got to figure it out because at the end of the day, when they say it's time to play the game, you got to be able to play the game at a high level. How did you guys pull it off? Like, was there something creative you guys did to, to, to try and make it work? Yes. I know one of the biggest things we did, we incorporated night practices, you okay. know, and, and I tried to sell it to our team is because we were opening on Monday night against the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand. What I was trying to do is speed everything <laughs> up for us so that we get ourselves a chance. And I, I build it as that because it yeah. made it easier for players to accept it, you know. And so we worked through it and worked it out, and we were able to go win that first game, which was huge. Like, did you have to Did you have to scale back things too? Like, like I, you hear a lot about that, about how, you know, like normally, and I'm sure, you know, going into that situation as a first time head coach, you have all of these different ideas of all the things that you were going to do when you became a head coach, right? Did you find yourself having to like scale back anything? Because, you know, you would think like, all right, like I, I want to give them a lot to work with, but I also want them to master whatever they're doing, right? Like, so did you find yourself like sort of, all right, we're going to have to throw out a few things because we just don't have the time to, to, to get to all of it. Absolutely, because yeah, it goes back to what can we execute fast enough at a high enough level to give us a chance to have success. So you can't do it all. I mean, as a coach, you got to be very, very uh, strategic as to what it is that you want your team to have that's going to give you a chance to start, you know, in a, in a good way. No team wants to start the year losing. So you can't go do everything you would have done in an offseason season into training camp leading up to a season because some of these things you didn't have. So like we said, you have to adjust and make sure you make those adjustments that give you a chance to have success. So like, can, is there a way you can quantify that? Like, is there a way you can quant- like, like whether it's percentage of the playbook that was 
just didn't exist that year or like numbers numbers of things that were like like how like is there a way to like actually quantify how much you guys scaled back no it is about 25 percent of it okay. was quarterback. you know you okay. had to pull it back and and if you have a younger quarterback i was fortunate enough to have a veteran yeah. who had under me who i called plays for so he kind of knew who i was and i knew who he was but if i had a new quarterback i would have it would have been terrible because then I don't know what he really does know until I can put him in a position to do it enough, you know? Mm -hmm. So that makes it real difficult. Do you think like, all right, so like, let's say you're the Chargers with Justin Herbert. You're the Dolphins with Tua Tungavaloa. You're the Bengals with Joe Burrow right now. Do you feel like you'd be going into this thinking to yourself, eh, well, probably that this could be a redshirt year. Yeah, you, you could. It all depends on who else is playing around them. Yeah. You know, I mean, what kind of team am I putting around this particular young player? And if he's ready, you know, mm -hmm. some of these guys might be ready. They can handle that. Some guys can't handle that right away, you know, and you just got to figure that out. And the only way you figure that out is being in the meeting room with them, being on the practice field with them and really being around them and spending that time. Okay, so like this is this is what's really interesting to me about that one, right? Like, so do you feel like you almost have to name your starter quicker too? You know, because like like it's it's like every minute if every and the my logic on it every minute counts, right? Like, so whatever you have from the end of July, and let's just say camp starts on time, and that's not a certainty. Camp starts on time, season starts on time. Like, so you have whatever six weeks there, and every minute counts because you've lost so much already. Like, do you think it's important that, like, hey, if we're going to start the rookie, if we're going to start the – and I think the Bengals did this that year with Andy Dalton, right? Like, and you know Andy obviously really well, but it was like, you know, you have to sort of get him the work. So, like, with a Burrow or a Tua or a Herbert, would you feel like almost like we have to make a decision on him faster because if he's going to play, he has to get all the work? Absolutely. I, I, I'm with you 100%. If you make a decision – that this young player who is the future of the franchise is the guy that you think he can ascend to be. You got to play him. You got to start in practice and you got to let the team know because mm -hmm. players really, um, the locker room is going to be really important too, because mm -hmm. if they see you just catering to the young player, they all know he's the future of the organization. No doubt about that. I think all the players respect that. They know why you drafted him, but can he win for you this year? That's what the players want to know. So mm -hmm. if you just start playing a guy and the locker room feels like this guy's not ready, let's say this guy's dropping snaps or throwing interceptions, can't say to play in a huddle, you know, yeah. those type of things, that can't happen. You, mm -hmm. can't, you can't do that with a National Football League team. I mean, the players would run you out. So you have to handle all this the right way. So if you do make that decision, then it's going to be very – it's going to be more than important for the coaches to have done all the work prior to with all these all this virtual training to make sure that the guy can come into an offense in the room the meeting room and on the field and demonstrate that he's got it how but quickly I, can you figure it out how quickly how quickly do you know like 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 realistically and you had baker two years ago in cleveland so you went through this like how quickly can you how quickly do you think you can make like a like the a, a, a sort of decision that you're going to be confident in, right? Like, and how quickly will the team know? How quickly will the locker room know? You know what's interesting, Albert? You, and I think that's a great question. I think you already know. That's why you drafted him. 
Mm-hmm. What you don't know is how fast will he, you know, understand the environment and become what he needs to be for the football team. And is the football team ready for him? And what I mean by that, do I have a left tackle issue? Do I have a, a right tackle issue? You know, do I have a receiver issue also? You know, right. what kind of defense do I have? If I'm going to make the quarterback successful, all those things have to be in place in order for him to play well. If, if I got some holes, I don't want to stick the guy out there and put him in a situation where maybe he loses his confidence, he loses his value, and he doesn't get a chance to play like everybody know he can, and then the team loses confidence in I, you, right. you can't do that to a player too soon. So I think these decisions about these young quarterbacks that are coming out this year, when they play, how they play, is going to be is going to be it's going to mean everything to the future of their careers. Because right. it's going to work. so well, like, like let me ask you the obvious question. Then, like, well, the one the thing that pops in my head was like when you when you look at what you you know the decision you made in Cleveland then with with Baker not playing. Was part of it Joe Thomas having retired? I just like looked. I want to make sure I had the date right, but it was like, like yeah. I mean, like maybe you guys obviously believed in Baker to some degree. So, like part of that, I I would assume is well, we don't even know what we have at left tackle right now. Absolutely. Well, that was amazing. That's why you know I, I understand all, everything everybody thought. Well, why didn't Baker play right away? Well, mm-hmm. Baker didn't play right away in that situation in that environment for a couple of reasons. One. Um, we, we didn't know who we were going to draft, even though we knew we had first pick. We still wasn't sure. But yeah. before then, we made a decision to bring Tyrod Taylor, who was mm-hmm. a starting player at Buffalo, who'd been to the playoffs, and we didn't have any stability at quarterback, none. Yeah. So we said, hey, Tyrod, in order for this to happen, you're going to be the starter. We yeah. needed to do that for the locker room. We're coming mm-hmm. off of a 1-31 season. The yeah. team needed to know who the quarterback was. They knew who the future quarterback was going to be, but they needed to know who the quarterback was at the time. Then I knew that the left tackle position, I didn't yeah. know who was going to play. Tyrod Taylor was a runner, you know. Mm-hmm. He'd been in some NFL, a lot of NFL games. So I felt comfortable saying, this guy's going to be our quarterback until, yeah. you know. And that was an organizational decision that we made. We were not going to play Baker until we felt like we knew who the left tackle was and that the team was ready for it unless Tyrod got hurt. Tyrod got hurt. The rest took care of himself. Okay, so now we're going to go way off on a tangent because I, I do want to add, like, I just popped in my head. Do you think Tyrod will be good for, for Justin Herbert? Uh, absolutely. Because yeah. and I say that knowing what he did for Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, but I think Tyrod Taylor is going to be the quarterback there this year, and I think he's going to do a tremendous job, but he will help. Um, that young player understand what it means to be a National Football League quarterback. Okay. Um, all right. So back to the 2011 experience. I do think it's fascinating to look at this and see where where you guys were going into that year. <clears throat> Again, of like you had had been there, but it's a somewhat new coaching staff and everything else. What do you think the biggest key was to getting off to the start? You guys did because you guys started that season seven and four. You win your opener. Um, you know, and you only had again that 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 truncated period of time to get to know each other at the level that you needed to know each other ahead of a season. Um, you know, what do you think the biggest key was to 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 finding a way to get out of the gate the way that you guys got out of the gate before the quarter? I think it was injury? a couple of things. I think uh, first and foremost, it was that I was, uh, you know, I was already there. You yeah. know, so I got you know elevated to become head coach, so that 
made everybody a lot more comfortable. So the majority of the team knew who I was. Right. Uh, I thought the way we practiced, I thought the way we scheduled practice, I think the environment that we practiced in in Napa, California really helped us too. Mm-hmm. I thought that the players uh, really understood that we needed to do things differently on a high, at a high level as fast as we could if we were going to make a turn because the Raiders have started bad every year, you know, mm-hmm. prior to that, prior to, for like 10 years. So that's something we preached and something that we wanted to accomplish, and we were able to do that. So do you like like then you like you you look at how that season goes and everything else and you make the trade for Carson Palmer in the middle of the year I uh like and I remember how crazy that was at the time like every, like he'd been retired and everything else mm-hmm. you obviously had the relationship with him from Cincinnati um what do you what do you remember about like you know getting him in then and 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 did the experience of having gone through what you guys went through earlier that year sort of help to set up like the fact that you guys had sort of dealt with like, okay, like we're already, everything's already sort of a rush and getting to put in the system and all that different stuff in the summer did that sort of help in like, and, and, and getting Carson in and getting Carson up to speed and getting Carson where he needed to be as fast as you did. It did because the chaotic time that we dealt with prior to, as you're mentioning here, we were back again, we lost our starting quarterback. Um, nobody blinked. Uh, I thought Mark Davis did a great job of making the decision to have it be Carson because a lot of people didn't think it should be. Um, and I think he did it because he was familiar with me. So mm-hmm. Carson kind of knew the offense I was running, but we're talking about a former first pick of the draft quarterback who walks in your building, uh, who's had a little success that was um, the players looked and said, okay, we're going to follow you. And he was a leader of men you know, because he immediately took on the receivers and running backs and everybody else. And in saying that, Albert, everybody couldn't have done that. You right. know, and I think that's what everybody's got to understand. There's only people who probably know the coach in that environment, in that situation mm-hmm. we were foreign to. We had a team that we felt was really good. We lost a really good player who was playing lights out for us and Jason. It was like, how do we salvage this or do we not salvage this? And you know, do something else. And Mark made a decision. No, we, we're going to go get the best that we could find. Who knows you, Hugh? And that was Carson. And he walked in there and immediately made a difference, you know, right away because we, we end up winning a few more games, but at the same time, we didn't make the playoffs. And I know people say, well, you only do that if you make the playoffs, but it might've been worse than what the record was, <laughs> you know, <Right>. somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at the way that season went, right, like overall, what are some of the things that you remember that maybe somebody who turns on the TV wouldn't notice about the way football was played that year? Like, do you remember, was there anything that was like just different about the way the league was that year that maybe you might see this year because there are circumstances that are going to lead to maybe camp being in the same sort of rushed held in the same sort of rushed way that, that it was back then. And, and the amount of work being cut down the way that it was back then. I don't, I think early, uh, I think people won't see as good of execution mm-hmm. as they would like. I, I think early, you might not see great quarterback play, you know, right. early in the year. I think uh, tackling uh, might be an issue early in the year because as these weeks get tighter for coaches, 
coaches are going to get a little bit more afraid to do certain things with their teams. Um, so I think that's what you're going to see real quickly. Um, you know, the teams that, uh, that are physical in training camp, they'll have some success. The teams that are not, they won't have as much success mm-hmm. early. So you, do you guys hit a lot in training camp that year? Though? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- we did everywhere I've ever been. You know, I just think that that's football. But you do it strategically, and you do it in a way that uh, puts the player still in a situation where he – you know, you always try to make sure you eliminate mm-hmm. injury as much as you can. But, boy, I mean, the coaches who now normally have a few live periods, do you have a live period now? You know, <laughs> do you take that chance? You know, well, the first time if I get a player hurt, what happens? You know, it's just right. so many decisions and so much anxiety, in my opinion, especially with the first-year coaches. They're, they're going to struggle. Yeah. And you had, like and, – and I would assume, too, like – the night practice is part of it. And I would think part of it was like the energy level, right? Like yeah. you thought the energy level would be good. And so like, maybe you're getting a little bit more out of them that way too. Absolutely. You needed that. I mean, the players, I mean, they play under the lights, as you know, in training camp, guys get excited mm-hmm. about stuff like that. Cause normally yeah. you know, the routine of waking up in the morning, having practice, coming back out in the early evening, having practice to change it up was really important for our football team at that time because everything was chaotic. So let's kind of be a little bit chaotic and deal with it man, so we can manage things as they happen. And that's what, that's what we took on. What do you – like, Like, it sounds like you've got pretty fond memories of that group too, huh? Like, were there, were there certain players that, like, you thought were really important to making sure that all of that worked? Like, that, like, that everybody stayed on track and, like, even though everything, like, went sideways and, you know, like, you, you – you dealt with what everybody else in the league dealt with to begin with. You have a quarterback injury in the middle of the year. Like, like were there certain players that were really, really important to kind of keeping that thing the way that it needed to be? Darren McFadden was mm-hmm. fantastic, and he did get hurt, you know, after Jason yeah. did. But from Darren McFadden to Michael Bush to uh, Marcel Reese, you know, uh, I think of Jacoby Ford. Uh, I'm just naming guys on offense to Richard Seymour and Cameron Wembley, Stanford mm-hmm. Rout, you know, Tyvon Branch, uh, Mike Mitchell, those guys on defense. They were hungry. You know, we, we were a hungry group that was willing to work hard. And I think we had the potential to be really good. I was glad to have Carson. But, boy, I really wish I could have seen what the season would have looked like if Jason didn't get Right because we were playing really good football, you know, and um, it, it was clicking, it was working, but that happens. Guys get injured. You got to move on. All right. So you can be honest now. It's nine years later. Does it kill you that you didn't get to see it through <laughs> after oh, that? Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, and again, I respect Mark and I understood yeah. it was his first opportunity. He had to do what he felt was right. Um, but I thought that that opportunity there for me, it, it was right because we had the makings. We had a lot of young players playing really well. We had veteran players playing well. But we were in a situation we had never been in. We had a chance to make the playoffs if we won the game. Well, the Raiders hadn't been in that situation. Mm-hmm. That was difficult and different. You know, we scored 26 points and still lost. They didn't punt one time, you know. So <laughs> it was amazing. But we were all that close, but, you know, all that far away. But, no, I would have liked to finish that one. Yes. Okay. Um, 
let's let's wrap it up with this. What are you doing now? Do you want to get back into to coaching? Like like wh- where are you at? Absolutely, Albert. You know that I miss <laughs> coaching football, miss calling plays, and being involved in offense like you wouldn't believe. Uh, right now, I'm I'm just enjoying life and. I have a tequila brand that I'm involved in uh, with my tequila partner. It's organic, 100% USDA, organic tequila. We've enjoyed that. And uh, just being around home, you know. Uh, but outside of that, no, I'm watching football all the time, just trying to find a way to continue to get better and stay in it. Uh, talk to a bunch of coaches and players all the time. And just, you know, at the right time and the right situation, I'll come back and do it again. Have there been guys like, is there anybody that's been really interesting to talk to that's, you know, I know like a lot of times coaches would still spend their time away kind of in a, like, it sounds like doing exactly what you're doing, which is like kind of trying to work on professional development. Has there been anybody that's been particularly interesting for you to talk to, or it's been like sort of an interesting resource for you guys, for you to have? For me, it's been Marvin Lewis. Okay. You know, Marvin's been awesome. You know, obviously he's the defense coordinator of Arizona State now. Uh, I, I really enjoy our conversations. Obviously, I've talked to Mike Zimmer from time to time. Uh, I try to stay connected that way because I think it's important. Um, and then, you know, all the guys that you've worked with, the assistants from around the league, you know, you have conversations with. You know, my man Pep Hamilton just went to the Chargers as a quarterback mm-hmm. coach. So you stay in, involved that way with your guys. Um, but uh, at the same time, there's nothing like just being out there and being in it. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Are you planning on making some trips this summer then to go and visit visit camps and everything oh, else? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll do that for sure. You know, I'll get to several, you know, just to make sure that uh, I see the people and wherever I can help, you know, there'll be some people. I've had a couple calls and people saying, Hey, we might need you to come help. So we'll we'll see what that what that uh, what happens in that situation. Awesome. He's Hugh Jackson. You want to tell people where they can follow you on Twitter or Instagram or whatever? Oh, they can follow me on Instagram at uh, Hugh Jackson five and Twitter is, uh, I think it's, uh, I don't even <laughs> you know. Can Google it. You can Google it. <laughs> yeah, I don't even do that as you know. <laughs> All right. Always great. Always great. catching up with you, Hugh. You too, buddy. Thanks, Albert. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card 8am, wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge <sighs> Much better 2pm, grab seats for the game 
6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be my That's my game. <laughs> Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Appreciate you coming out. It's great as always. Great insight there from the former Browns and Raiders coach. We're going to jump right into the six-pack. In lieu, of course, of what we used to do before the shutdown, which was the voicemails and the emails. I promise at some point we'll get back to that. But for now, it's the six-pack. You guys know how it works. Every week I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I ask. You fill the timeline up with questions. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get a like. That means I hit that little heart emoji and an answer here on the podcast. Question number one comes from Matt Ramos. That's at Matt underscore Ramos. Could a team sign Cam with some sort of contingency contract based on his ultimate health whenever medical staffs can examine him? Given the lack of interest so far, do you think Cam would consider that? I don't know that it would necessarily be you know specific to his medical condition, but teams sign guys who have injury history all the time and put trap doors in those sorts of contracts. So how would you set that up? Well, you probably wouldn't have guaranteed money. Um, you'd probably have a lot in the base salary, which you need to make it to the season and make the team to to, to collect the base salary. Um, and then beyond just that, you'd probably have 46-man roster bonuses. That means you have to be active on game day to collect them. And also perhaps some playing time bonuses or playing time incentives and some and some uh, and some starting starting incentives. And so I I think that there'd be. Any contract he'd sign right now would probably have some of those fail-safes in place. Probably not a great deal of guaranteed money. Maybe a bigger base than any sort of 
bonus he gets up front. And then those 46-man roster bonuses where he gets them if he's healthy enough to be active on game day and the incentives tied to either starting games or playtime. Question number two from Moose Block. That's at Moose underscore Block. Which rookie will make the biggest impact on his team this year? And I'm going to kind of go with the layup here. The quarterbacks, yes, if those guys start and play the whole year and one of them makes the playoffs, it be hard to argue against that because the position is so important. Um, I'm going to give you – I'm gonna, I'm gonna, well, I'll give you two guys who I think have a chance to make an impact from a skill position standpoint a little further down the line, but I'm gonna go with the easy answer here, and that's Chase Young, the second overall pick. Um, and I think it's sim- the, the reason I have the reasons I have for it is similar to why I felt like Nick Bosa was gonna be great coming out of Ohio State last year, and not because I went to school there. Uh, both these guys, I believe, are generational talents. On top of that, those guys also went into situations where the position group room that they are walking into is such where it'd be almost impossible for an offense to game plan those guys too much. Nick Bosa was walking into a position group room that had Solomon Thomas, that had DeForest Buckner, that had Eric Armstead, that had D Ford. That's four former first round picks in Washington. Chase Young walking into a position group room that has Deron Payne, that has Jonathan Allen, that has Montez Sweat, that has Ryan Kerrigan. That's another four former first round picks. And so, I think Chase Young walks into a situation where, A, he's a great talent, ready to play in the NFL, and B, there's enough talent around him where when he does build some momentum early on, should it happen, teams aren't going to be able to key key in on him too much. Two guys to watch a little further down the line. I know you guys want skilled players here. and These are two guys who I think are outstanding fits for where they're going. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in Kansas City, and, and then Brandon Ayuk in, in San Francisco. Both those guys were pointed out to me by other teams as guys who were outstanding fits for their landing spots. And so Ayuk and Edwards Hilaire are two guys I'm going to have my eyes on. Question number three this is from Damon, or I'm sorry, this is from Adam Shiraga. Uh That's at Shrags44. Which quarterback do you expect to take a bigger jump, Danny Dimes or Drew Locke? I'm going to say Drew Locke because I like what's around him. And we talked about it off the top of the show at Gresh. They bring in KJ Hamler. They bring in Jerry Judy to a group that's already got Cortland Sutton and and Noah Fant and Philip Lindsay. And so I'm going to say Drew Locke just because of the situation around him. I'm really worried about the left tackle situation there. You know, when I the Broncos and Chargers are two teams that that potentially could be playing young quarterbacks that have serious left tackle problems, and so. I, I, I'm saying this with the trepidation about the left tackle situation. I'm not sure. Dan, Daniel Jones, you look at what's in front of him. You're probably going to be starting a rookie at one of the tackle spots. How much does Nate Solder have left? I do think they've made strides in fixing the offensive line. I think the overall picture probably isn't as strong as, as it is in Denver. So I'm giving Drew Locke the, the, the edge here. But it's pretty close, and that's a really good question from Adam. Question number four. From Jeff Gold, that's at Jeff Gold eighty one. I asked this earlier, but it was much after you posted, so asking again because I'm really curious. What happened in Miami to sour the Dolphins on Josh Rosen so immediately? Seems like he never got much of a chance, especially considering considering the Dolphins weren't even really competing. Thanks. It's a good it's a good question, Jeff. I think it's really as much as anything else a reflection of how a quarterback how a quarterback's experience is dictated by the level of investment that the people in the building have in him. And so when Josh Rosen was drafted 10th overall, the Cardinals traded up to get him in 2018. 
Steve Kime, Steve Wilkes, Mike McCoy, Byron Leftwich, all the people in the building had a big investment in making it work with him. And so even if there were bumps early on, they were going to ride those out and keep giving him chances. When he got to Miami, he'd basically been kind of like put out on the corner like, like, like an old couch by the Cardinals. The Dolphins come in and take a flyer on him with the second-round pick. The Dolphins are putting a ton of resources into scouting quarterbacks next year. Brian Flores is trying to establish his program and trying to do the best he can to sell everything that he's doing to his players. And it's just, you know, a much different situation. So Josh Rosen got his chance, but if he didn't show something quickly, the the, the team was going to be out on the, – the, the coaching staff wasn't going to waste too much time trying to get it right with him. Now, that same coaching staff is going to turn around now and give Tua every chance because they've invested more in him. And so I think so much of it kind of boils down to your level of investment in that the Cardinals invested a top 10 pick in him. And so that coaching staff was invested in making it work with him. That coaching staff gets fired. A new coach comes in in Arizona. That new coach has got a lot of history with the guy who wound up being the number one overall pick that year. So he gets aced out of there, and then he winds up in Miami. And in Miami, he just goes to a place where people aren't as invested in him because of the circumstances um, that that dictated his arrival. And so it's just the whole thing. I think sort of went sideways. And Josh Rosen, where you know he's in one hand being treated like that he'd been the prodigy forever, and now down the other hand, what's wound up happening with him is he's sort of now in a spot where, you know, a guy like a I'm going to try to come up with a name here. A guy like a like a Jalen Hurts would be in or a guy like a like one of these guys that went a little further down in the draft, like someone like a like a Jake Fromm now, like he's going to have to really make the most out of every opportunity he gets because he's probably not going to get a ton of opportunities going forward to prove that he's a starting quarterback in the league. Question number 5 this is from Pete Finnegan. That's at Pete Finnegan 10. What looks like improvement for the Browns this year other than an increase in win Mayfield improving to find identity or something else? How they look in November and December. That's what I think it is. It's how does the team look once you've had a chance to establish who you are, once the coaches, and it's not just Kevin Stefanski, it's also guys like, Joe Woods on defense and Alex Val being pelt on offense. How does that all look when we get to November and December? Are they building momentum? Do they have momentum going into 2021? Is the offensive line fixed? That's going to be a big one with Jedrick Wells and Jack Conklin coming in. Has Baker Mayfield improved? Is a huge one, as you mentioned. I just think it's going to be a general feeling of things going in the right direction coming out of the year. The Browns haven't been in that spot in a while. And so, like, even if they're, say, two and six, if they can get to eight and eight from two and six, I think that that's probably a win based on where they've been. And so I think it's just going to be a matter of having positive momentum at the end of the year and having a togetherness in the building. I can't emphasize how important that is enough because of where that organization has been over the last, I'd say 10 years, at least. I mean, going back to when Mangini was the coach there, how many fractures there's been in the building. Um, I think being together as a unit, being together as a, a like as a as the Browns brass, I think is going to be a really really important thing. And this is finally question number six. I had to answer this one. Brady forces Jets fans to cry at Pats nineteen eighty eight. That's not why I have to answer it. Um, hello, Mister Brewer. Any insight why Monty Austin Fort left the Pats? 
could have gotten a GM job in the past and is now second fiddle with the Titans like he was with the Pats. Will Elliott Wolf succeed him or will Dave Ziegler get more responsibility? And here's why I had to answer it. Thanks and best regards from Austria. That's the homeland for me. That's my where my mom's from. Thank you, Pats88. Uh, Monty Osenfort left the Pats because he sort of hit a glass ceiling there. And he'd been blocked twice um, from opportunities to join Bill O'Brien in Houston, who he's close to. And I know that that, you know, like, like that basically put him in a position where he's like, all right, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sign my new contract. I'm going to let my contract expire, which gave him the latitude to do something like this. Uh, I also think it is a step up. Like he was the college scouting director in new England and he goes to Tennessee now where he'll be director of player personnel. That means he'll do more in the office, which would, you know, at least on paper, prepare you better to be a, a GM. You do some work on the pro side, which again, will prepare you better to be a GM. All of these guys, and it's like anything else, all of these guys you have designs and eventually running their own place. And the, to me, like that's a big part of it. It's got to be a big part of it. If you have any ambition at all, it's going to be a big part of it. And this is definitely a step in that direction for Monty Osenfort, who will go to a place where there's a guy in charge who he's very familiar with and John Robinson. So he'll be able to hit the ground running. And it's a team that I think will probably be good for the next few years based on where they've been. And if you're looking to continue to move up, it helps to be a part of a good organization. You asked if Elliot Wolf will succeed him or Dave Ziegler will get more responsibility. I, I think what you'll probably see, you'll probably see Dave Ziegler elevated. He would have been the general manager in Cleveland had Josh McDaniels gone. So I think Dave Ziegler will be kind of able to straddle maybe a little bit, the pro and college sides a little bit more. And I think Elliot Wolf will have a fairly prominent role in the organization. Whether or not he winds up being the college director, we'll see. He's got some more experience on the pro side. Um, you know, but certainly I think the, the the move to go and get Elliot Wolf when they did, who he'd been the assistant GM of the Browns, um, really, really was in, test, in, in anticipation of losing Austin Fort, which, of course, they have. Appreciate you guys coming out. I want to hear what you guys have to say in the new format, too. That was a lot of fun doing that with Gresh and Hugh. And if you guys think that that format works, let me know. You guys know where to find me on social media, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. And listen to all the podcasts. You guys know to do that too, right? Go to the MMQB NFL podcast feed. You can find me there. You can find the Weekside podcast with Jenny and Connor there. You can find Gary's Monday morning podcast. We're all on one feed now. And if you if you really want to keep searching around for more content, the MMQB news feed is out there for you too. Both those feeds, you can get us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. Same time next week. We'll see you guys then. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi 
helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Oh, okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.